The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 6. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about creepy cottages, urban legends come alive, a traveling harvest carnival a bit out of the ordinary, and unexpected angelic vampires. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to get to take a walk down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of the author of all of this evening's stories, Christina Derner, who tells of a woman living alone who discovers a small weeping child at her doorstep late one cold, snowy, frigid night. Without further ado, I present to you Monday's Child. The screams were like wind chimes stuck in a storm. At first Della thought it was the gale-forced winds of the blizzard, until she heard the weeping coming from her front lawn. By its sound she could tell that it was not an infant, nor was it an adolescent, but the wailing of a child that was about seven or eight years old. She lay in bed listening to it, afraid to go to the window to see what was causing such anguish for the girl. Finally, she looked down. The lawn was empty, but for a few Christmas decorations that were steadily disappearing beneath the falling snow. 
There was a trail of footprints, kid-sized, on the walkway leading up to her porch. The howling continued, but now it was accompanied by the sound of frantic pounding on her front door. Della saw no immediate danger. She was not the type of person to place herself in harm's way to help a stranger, child or adult. No one ever bothered to help her when she needed it. Why should she put herself out for anyone else? But she wasn't so cold-hearted as to leave a weeping babe frightened and alone on her front porch during a blizzard. She'd been hoping that one of her neighbors might have interceded, and she could just go back to bed. But the cul-de-sac was almost abandoned for the holiday. Everyone else seemed to be visiting with family and friends, two things that Della lacked these days. It appeared to be just her and Sammy, her drunk of a neighbor who lived across the street, left in Hazelwood Valley community during this festive season. Neither of them was particularly attractive, Della being in her late forties and pressing both a spare tire and a thin mustache that she didn't bother to pluck any more. Sammy had been a drunk for most of his life, and his appearance revealed it plainly. Sporting a beer gut and a perpetually red face, he still found his way into Della's bed on the occasions that she was feeling particularly lonely. She wished that she had invited him over earlier that night for a little Christmas Eve celebration. He wasn't all that great in the sack, nor was he much of a conversationalist, especially after a few boilermakers. He was a quiet man when he was sober, and drinking seemed to quiet him to the point of silence and often slumber. But she would feel more at ease at having someone else answer the door. Just as well, Della thought to herself. If he could manage to sleep through all that screaming, then what help would he be here now? She'd just have to take care of the kid on her own. As she opened the door... Della was assaulted by a burst of frigid air. The biting ice and snow slashed across her face, a sensation so intensely raw that it burned on impact. Blinded momentarily, she half expected to be plowed over by the child if the sound of her crying was anything to go by. But nothing happened. Della's vision was blurred, her eyes running as a result of the harsh breezes that assaulted her. She wiped at them fiercely and finally managed to regain her sight. What she saw before her gave her goosebumps more fervent than any arctic blast ever could. On the porch, a small, almost gnome-like girl sat crouching against the doorway. The child wasn't dressed at all for the weather. She donned a short-sleeved white cotton dress decorated with holly leaves and berries. Barefooted and wearing no jacket, she was shockingly sallow, no doubt from the cold, squall-like winds that continued to assault them. Her beautiful pale face was accentuated by two pools of ice-blue eyes. The girl reminded Della of that nursery rhyme she used to like as a kid. Monday's child is fair of face, she recalled gazing upon the poor little darling on her doorstep. But, despite her angelic beauty, the sight of the girl was enough to make Della's stomach churn with anxiety and terror. 
The little girl's pigtailed blonde hair was striped with blood. Her alabaster cheeks smeared with it, as was her festive clothing. Streaks of blood on her face had been mottled from streams of tears that continued to cascade down her weary face. The cry stopped the moment that Della had taken notice of her. Doe-eyed, she stared at the middle-aged woman, her baby blues glassy and slightly bloodshot from all the weeping. Della had been so shocked by the child's appearance that she'd lost the ability to react. She stood staring at her, mouth wide open, hands ringing nervously. "'Please, may I come in?' the little girl asked sweetly. "'I need help.' The strangled, soft voice seemed to reach Della through her state of consternation, and she was finally able to find her voice. "'Of course, you can come in, sweetheart.' She cooed as she lifted the small child into her arms and hauled her into the house. As she carried her into the dimly lit living room, Della kicked the door shut with a bunny-slippered foot, then placed her down on a tattered old sofa. "'Let me call the police so that we can help you, darling,' she suggested. "'No!' The child's sudden outcry startled Della, causing her to drop the phone on the floor. "'Please, ma'am, please let me get warm first. I'm so cold.' The tone in her voice broke Della's heart. She could afford a few minutes to wait to allow her to warm up. The child didn't seem too badly injured from what she could tell, and if she were honest with herself, she was happy to have the company. "'Okay, we'll wait. Let me get you a blanket and some hot chocolate, honey. You're completely safe here with me. I want you to know that,' Della assured her. "'But in a few minutes, I'll need you to tell me what happened. I'll give you some time to get your bearings.' "'Thank you, ma'am,' the little girl replied delicately. "'Please, call me Della,' she requested, smiling warmly at the girl in an effort to put her mind at ease. "'My name is Christabel,' the child said through chattering teeth. Della made quick work of wrapping Christabel in a blanket and proffering her an enormous serving of hot chocolate. She hadn't bothered with the marshmallows.' thinking that they would only slow down the warming process for her unexpected visitor. But she did serve it to her in an oversized mug that was fashioned to look like Frosty the Snowman. Christabel held it gingerly in her tiny hands, taking dainty sips from it while Della flicked on the switch of her gas fireplace. Glancing at her phone, she noticed that there was no service. The storm seemed to be causing a great deal of trouble tonight. She was glad, for it meant that she had a little extra time with another human being. Was she really that selfish, she wondered. Had she become so greedy for pleasant human interaction that she was happy for the inability to call the police to assist an injured kid? She tried not to think about it. That's better, isn't it? she asked Christabel. Much better, thank you, Miss Della. Noticing that the child seemed more comfortable around her now, she posed her question gently, hoping that it wouldn't alarm her. Christabel, would you mind if uh, I looked you over just to make sure that you aren't hurt badly? 
She looked at Della appraisingly before nodding her consent. Della sat beside her on the couch, looking through Christabel's hair for any sign of a head injury. There was none. She was stumped. After searching Christabel's bare arms and legs, she was unable to find a single scratch. Are you hurt somewhere on your back or your belly? She questioned. Nope, Christabel answered, as if that single word explained everything that Della needed to know. Then where are you bleeding from? The child stared straight ahead, taking a swig after swig of her hot chocolate before she answered. It's not mine. Were you in some kind of accident? Was your mommy or daddy hurt in a car crash or something? No, I don't have any family, Christabel said matter-of-factly. Della's patience was wearing thin. She enjoyed having someone to talk to, but not when every question that she asked was answered without actually being answered. Then where did all that blood come from? The man across the street, Christabel responded. I'm pretty sure he's dead by now. Della's breath hitched. Sammy wasn't that great of a companion, but she never wanted to see anything bad happen to him. Knowing him, he'd probably gotten into his bottle of Christmas cheer earlier than usual and fallen down the concrete steps of his so-called wine cellar. Maybe he was only hurt. Well, how do you know that? Because I killed him. The little girl confessed. Della's blood ran cold. For the second time, tonight, she found herself unable to respond to the horror that had been placed at her feet. This child couldn't know what she was saying. Maybe she was a relative of Sammy's and had stumbled upon him after he'd taken a bad fall. That had to be it. She must be in shock. Christabel continued to stare into the distance and drink her hot chocolate. You don't mean that, Christabel. Yes, I do. She drained the last of her drink. That's good stuff, not what I'm used to, drinking but tasty all the same. She tossed the blanket over the back of the couch and stretched before looking Della in the eye. It was nice of you to invite me in, she began. It's so hard to find people who are willing to open their doors to a stranger on Christmas Eve. They're normally busy with their families. Della pushed herself backward on the couch, confused and disconcerted by the adult quality that Christabel's voice had taken. You know, you and Sammy were the only ones here tonight. Too bad you weren't spending the evening together. That would have made things so much easier, she continued. But good meals often take time and preparation. Wouldn't you agree, Della? Della shrieked in utter panic. As Christabel's top canine teeth elongated right before her eyes. As she struggled to get up, the child let out a ferocious snarl. Quick as lightning, she was on her, draining every drop of blood from her portly little body. As the last of her life bled out of her, Della 
was filled with different emotions. Surprise, fear, but above all else, a sense of gratitude that her miserable life would soon be coming to an end. And she was thankful that she didn't have to spend another Christmas alone. Most vampires fed on any human they could find. But in her eyes, Christabel performed a service. She only fed on the lonely ones who were beyond all hope. She'd watched them from a distance and studied their patterns. Many of them were self-destructive drunks, anyway, like Sammy across the lane. Others were suicidal or prayed for release from the loneliness, like poor Della, who was lying on the floor. Poor Della, who proved that, alas, no good deed goes unpunished. Christabel, in her own way, was helping them by putting them out of their misery. And if that meant she got a nice hot meal in the process, then all the better. Licking the last of the blood from her lips, Christabel raided the kitchen. On her way out, she stuffed all of Della's hot chocolate packets into her dress pockets. They'd make a fantastic dessert after she finished up her dinner in the next town over. Partaking in ordinary food and drink was uncommon practice, but not entirely unheard of for her kind. Surely she'd be invited inside once more. They always invited her in, the lonely hearts, especially at Christmas time. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Monday's Child by Christina Derner, as performed by yours truly. Up next, Ms. Derner's second story of the evening. A woman who, after her mother passes, decides to get away from it all and purchases a quaint cottage, well, despite the warning of the local folk. Without further ado, I present to you The Cottage. October 1st, 1957, Callie purchased the small cottage overlooking Cimmerian Bluff. She's quite alone in the world. Having just lost both her parents in a head-on collision three months ago, she felt it was time to make a life for herself, to move to a new town where no one knew her, a town where she wouldn't be accosted daily by the well-meaning people who offered their sincerest sympathies despite the fact that they had never bothered to acknowledge that she even existed before the accident. She had no other family, 
she had no friends. The only things that truly belonged to her were her dog, Hodge, her new job as a page at the town's library, and the broken-down little cottage that she purchased on a whim. Turning the cottage into her personal sanctuary would be a grand task, but the inheritance that she'd acquired would make that possible. From the looks of the exterior, it appeared to be a shell-like ruin, but having gone inside, she realized that, with some initiative and a little elbow grease, she could fix it up in no time. A diamond in the rough, she kept telling herself. Once I clean it up and have the water turned on, Hodge and I can move right in. It had been uninhabited since the late 1920s, when a tragedy of heinous nature struck down the elderly woman who lived there with her cat, and it had remained empty until Callie discovered it. According to the citizens of Sumerian Bluff, a traveling tramp had been blamed for the brutal slaying. The old woman's throat had been viciously torn open in what the police believed to be an act of desperation when the hobo had broken into the woman's cottage and been caught stealing. They never did find the cat. The tramp swore ignorance, claiming to have never been near the cottage, but despite his protests, he was found guilty and hung for his alleged savagery. The townspeople swore that the old cottage was unfit to live in, that it was haunted and did not want to be lived in. But Callie detested superstition as much as she detested unwanted guests. So she bought the house, despite its sordid past, with the hopes that the legend of the tramp and the old woman would deter townspeople from making unwelcomed visits. Callie paid to have the water turned on and the roof and floors repaired, and by the 17th, she and Hodge had taken up residence. True, there was no electricity at this point, but Callie enjoyed the warm glow and snug atmosphere that candlelight and the stone fireplace provided. She enjoyed her first two days at work. Shelving books required very little human interaction, and allowed Callie to listen to her audiobooks, which always made the time go faster. The only problem she'd experienced thus far was the spotting of a field mouse scurrying into the stacks on her way to the lunchroom. Callie had always loved animals, more so than people, but rodents, they gave her a fright. As a child, her mother had always been cruel to her, insisting that if her room was not spotless, the mice would come into her room at night and bite her toes. Callie's mother maintained that they would scamper into her room every night, searching for a reason to get her. Since then, the very thought of a mouse would cause her to freeze up and panic to wash over her in tidal waves. Thinking of her mother saddened her. She'd spent most of her life trying desperately to win her approval and affections. While her father, on the other hand, had been the most loving person she'd ever known. He was the only person that she enjoyed being around. Now he was gone. She refused to upset herself any further, and cuddled close to Hodge as she sipped a warm cider in front of the fireplace. This could be a lovely little cottage, she said out loud, talking to both herself and the dog. We just need some new carpeting, perhaps some floral drapes, Maybe I'll put in some window boxes to really spruce it up around here. Hodge sneezed, 
bringing her back to the here and now, then plopped his little head back onto her lap. She peered through the cottage windows to see the autumn leaves coming down from the trees that surrounded her new home. Every single one of these villagers must be the town idiot, she chuckled to herself. The house doesn't want to be lived in, she said in a mocking tone. No cottage could ever make her feel more comfortable and at home. No cottage could ever be more welcoming. On October 19th, the first incident occurred. Though she'd taken it lightly and dismissed it at the time, it would be of great significance in relation to later events. Lying in bed that night, somewhere between half-dreaming and half-waking worlds, Callie heard the familiar scratch of claws on the bedroom door. Since he'd been trained as a puppy, Hodge used this as his means of communicating that it was time for her to take him out. The electricity wouldn't be fixed for another two weeks, so she found her way to him with the help of the moonlight. Throwing the pudgy Jack Russell over her shoulder, she felt her way down the hallway and made her way carefully to the tiny staircase. A loud snap jolted her upright as the dog leapt from her arms and down to the floor. It must have been one of those rat traps I set this morning, she whispered to the dog, kneeling down to stroke his soft coat. The place that's been vacant this long is bound to have vermin. Glad I thought I had. The thought of a rat in her beloved dwelling made her feel nauseous. What made matters worse is the thought that she would have to go look for the trap and possibly find the disgusting, half-dead little pest squirming to get free. Then what would she do? Worry about that in the morning is what she would do. That vile little interloper would surely be dead by morning, and she'd be able to handle the matter more easily. The following morning, she discovered an enormous rat dead inside the trap. Thank God, she thought to herself. Hodge growled at the grotesque corpse until Callie mustered up enough courage to pick up the trap and throw it out in the garbage bin. It had been the size of a small trout and left her shaking as she ran back into the house to get as far away from it as she could. She set another trap that evening, hoping that they wouldn't hear any more loud snaps in the middle of the night. Living in a house that was supposedly haunted, did not bother Callie in the least, but living in a house that was infested with rats was enough to make her skin crawl. Remembering her mother, she wore her shoes to bed that night. Several nights passed, and each morning Callie had discovered dead rats in the traps that had been placed. She phoned an exterminator while she was at the library, but was disappointed to learn that he would be unable to make it to the cottage for another three days. No matter, Callie would not allow those disgusting vermins to scare her out of her own house, not when it had become the biggest part of her new life. Around midnight, Callie had heard Hodge's telltale signal scratching at her bedroom door. It was a moonless night, and she had forgotten to bring a candle into the room with her. As she crawled out of bed, feeling her way through the darkness, she could just make out the shape sitting in front of the door. She lifted him onto her shoulder and started carefully toward the stairs. His weight bore down on her heavier than normal. 
Whoa, buddy, you're getting heavy. Guess we better cut back on the milk bones, huh? Callie stroked his coat lovingly. Something was wrong. It felt harsh, coarse, grimy. Hodge, she managed to mutter through trembling lips. She turned her head to look at him. What she saw glowering back at her sent ice through her veins. Frozen in place, Callie saw two beady red eyes and whiskers that unmistakably belonged to a rat. But this rat was larger than any she'd ever seen. It was slightly bigger than Hodge. Where was poor Hodge? As she felt its naked sinewy tail thumping against her chest and bare arms, she could smell the scent of blood mingled with the rat's own musty stench. Its whiskers brushed against her cheek, leaving streaks of blood in its wake, as it inched its gnarling snout closer to her neck. What was it going to do to her? It had already eaten Hodge. Why was it perched on her shoulder so calmly, almost calculatedly? Her mother's words popped into her mind. Scampering, she said. They scamper in looking for a reason to bite. But this rat had not scampered. It had waited calmly, as if it were waiting for Callie to figure something out. Suddenly, the pieces of the puzzle started to come together. It had not occurred to her because her own mother had been so disconnected from her. She did not wish to protect Callie from anything. But her mother did not follow the laws of nature. This monstrous rodent that lay heavy upon her, however, did. It's their mother. The voice inside her rang out. She's the mother of the rats I've caught in the traps. Callie didn't know if it was the rat's reaction to the fear uh, that seemed to pulsate from her body or if it somehow realized that she'd figured out why it was there. But before Callie could find the strength within her to try to fight it, the mother rat sank its grisly, needle-like teeth into her throat. As she fell to the floor, the last thing she saw were those piercing red eyes and the blood-soaked muzzle dripping all over the beautiful new flooring of her beloved cottage. The next morning, the police found her lifeless body at the top of the small staircase, they concluded that a prowler must have attacked her and frightened out into the night. After all, whoever it had been didn't bother to use the door to escape. The downstairs window had been smashed to pieces, and none of the wild animals in the area were big enough to do that kind of damage. They'd tried to warn her before she purchased the cottage. The place was haunted. It did not want to be lived in. The old lady found that out. Sadly, Callie found out, too. Oh, but that's just a silly old legend, the real estate agent said with a half-hearted giggle. Something cooked up by the local busybodies because they had nothing better to do back then. I eyed her suspiciously. My husband's job had just transferred him to Sumerian Bluff, and we were in desperate search of a reasonably priced home where we could start a family. A small cottage set back in the woods, away from the hustle and bustle of town. When we heard the story of Callie and the old woman from his new boss, we'd thought it was a sick joke. The realtor's reaction to our account of the tale calmed my nerves as she invited us to walk into the cottage. 
It was lovely, cozy, just the type of place that we were looking for. Not to mention the price was right. We signed the paperwork and were more than ready to move in. But it's funny, as we made our way back to the car, I'm certain that I saw a rat scamper underneath the front door of the cottage. I hope you enjoyed The Cottage by Christina Derner, as performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me tonight for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. On a personal note, for those that follow me on Facebook, you're aware that I've undergone a total knee joint surgery as of July 23rd, and will be unable to work for four months while I undergo rehab on the knee. As a result, my financial situation will be severely curtailed by approximately 75%. If you enjoy the narrations I do, and would like to, and if you're able to help out, please go to my Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash where you can make a donation. Any amount is greatly appreciated and will allow me to get through the next few months as I get my knee back in working order. That's www.facebook.com forward slash Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. 
Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Ha 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 ha.